This week's episode is sponsored by RLJE Films. Don't go looking for what you don't want to find. From Simon Barrett, writer of Your Next and the Guest, comes the twisty horror film Seance. Now playing in theaters, on demand, and digital, supermodel and actress Suki Waterhouse stars as Camille Meadows, a young girl who joins the prestigious Edelvine Academy for Girls. One night, she and her classmates conduct a late-night seance, but before morning, one of the girls is found dead. Mysterious, macabre, and plenty bloody. You don't want to miss seance in theaters, on demand, and digital HD today. Head to seance.official.film to watch it now. This week's episode is also brought to you by another of RLJE's titles, Spare Parts. Let the battle begin. The heavy punk rock and girl power rich film Spare Parts arrives on on demand, digital, DVD, and Blu ray on June 1st. After being lured into a trap, an all-girl band, Ms. 45, finds themselves in the battle of their lives, where they are forced to fight gladiator style with weapons that have replaced their limbs. Action-packed with plenty of creative kills and tasteful gore, you'll want to watch Spare Parts On Demand and Digital this coming Tuesday and pre-order your copy now on Amazon.com. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by Tor Books and their new release, The Black Tongue Thief. Set in a world of goblin wars, stag-sized battle ravens, and deadly magical tattoos, The Black Tongue Thief begins a dazzling new fantasy series. The Black Tongue Thief, a new fantasy novel by Christopher Buhlman. Kinch owes the Takers Guild a small fortune for his education as a thief. He's working on it. Galva, a knight and handmaiden of the goddess of death, she's searching for her queen, missing since a distant northern city fell to giants. Common enemies and uncommon dangers force the thief and the knight on a journey where goblins hunger for human flesh, krakens hunt dark waters, and honor is a luxury few can afford. If you love D&D, you'll get the feel of a clever campaign gone gloriously, darkly, and hilariously awry. Check out The Black Tongue Thief, now available from Tor Books. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code COLORS to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Welcome back to Colors of the Dark. I am one of your hosts, Elric Kane, and joining me as always is the professor of style and bugs and all sorts of like little side things, Miss PhD of horror, <laughs> even though there's probably others too, but you know, you're one of them. Uh, I'm a couple. McKendry. Hello. Um, I'm definitely not the doctor of style. You really need to bridge Whoa, that one. That's, that's okay. As a- I sit here wearing sweatpants and an old Disney shirt that possibly has a couple. Did of not say good on. style, just um, said style. <laughs> just said <laughs> it is a style. What you are pulling off right now is a style. I have roller skating socks yeah, on yeah. too, and yeah, and I, I was selling just it. Skating, I'm telling you, which I'm selling it. I know. Um, how are you doing? Nothing new. We're just chilling. Not doing nothing, nothing new. new. Like- um, 
So yeah, we, uh, I'll begin by saying um, that we will be taking a break, not the next show. We're going to have our next show. It's going to be awesome. We're picking a cool topic now. Um, but after that, we'll be taking a break because we realized that we haven't taken a break since we started last October and, and we need a little It'll downtime. A Plus, you know, I got to, I got to go shoot yeah, a little we'll keep that on the DL for then. now, but, but you will be shooting something. So we'll have a few weeks off there, but yeah. the, the Patreon will keep going. So we're going to record some of them in yeah, advance. The Patreons. Patreon will keep going through even during the the time that color is dark. We'll but um, there. we're not yeah. going anywhere. So don't panic. Because even if I'm shooting, I still have to watch weird Definitely. shit. I'm excited about that. I'm like, now I get to sit by myself. And You'll probably actually end up watching kid. more weird stuff at late at night. Right? To be honest. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm going to, because usually I'm like, I by the time I get to watch something, a lot of times I'm frazzled and I'll have to watch things over two nights and, you know, while doing other things. I'm like, I'm just going to sit and watch a movie and like eat a pop tart, like yeah. shit. I never get to do at home. So we'll record, um, if you're up to it, we'll record a special of just us, like talking weird movies. One of the days we'll just see how it. we go. Um, okay. Well, we have a couple cool things coming up. We have yeah. this Friday. will probably be our last, you know, maybe for summer, maybe not. We don't know yet, but definitely the last for a little while of these monthly screenings um, at the school. I'm hoping that when we bring it back, that maybe we're in person yeah. and we finally get to do our devil's honey in 4K. I, I have not taken, I've only taken one sax lesson. I'm not ready to quite pull that off, but I will work on it over the break. You got it. You, you know, I don't this. think it's going to work the way I play it right now. <laughs> I think somebody, the girl's going to just look at me like, what are you doing on your knees? <laughs> Holding a saxophone to my privates and not playing. Just go. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is a quick route to nowhere land. So, um, but we, we have a double feature, uh, of, of, of which the quality is unknown for us because the first film is a film I've heard about for about a decade. Heard that it was bonkers, regional, handmade. I imagine in the vein of, um, you know, uh, I don't know, something like, something like. I'm picturing like a boggy creek type. Yeah. Or maybe even more like deadly spawn, maybe. Because that's, I'm, I don't know. It might not be quite at that level because Deadly Spawn, he he really nails those effects. So anyway, we're talking Winter Beast. Yeah, those effects are dope. So this is Winter yep. Beast, um, which we are showing as part of our USC online screening series that we've been doing. But this one is a double feature pajama jam because we are following up Winter Beast, which none of us have seen. We're yep. all going into yep. blind. Um, and we're following it up with Don't Panic, which, which is also definitely um, seen. kind of... <laughs> Which we've seen, and it's just a trip. This is dubbed as the Mexican Nightmare on Elm Street. But, and even though it is clearly like a Nightmare on Elm Street mockbuster, it is so much more bonkers and there's so much. It's a pretty it. entertaining film. It's just like fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really I think fun. it'll be fun as part of a double. I don't think we'll lose people. We're probably more likely to lose them on the first one than the second. So they'll bring you back. So these are. Yeah, don't panic. Does a vinegar syndrome double? Yep. yep, Vinegar Syndrome double, and I think Brett Berg um, will be joining us as well from AGFA. Yeah, he'll be good to because we won't be, obviously, researching Winter Beast. We're just going to watch it and react, so it'll be good to have somebody who can tell us a little bit more about it. Um, so that yeah. will be fun, and so that's coming up this Friday, so the, the minute that you're listening to this is probably tonight that you um, would come up. Yeah, and you can... You can hop onto our socials and RSVP. Um, just find the link on our socials on Facebook, Twitter, um, and scroll down and you'll be able to find the link to RSVP so we can make sure that you can join. And once you do that, you'll get a Zoom link and then you just hop on at 7 p.m. Pacific and join us. So new movies. I don't think we saw any of the same. Actually, I three. think, did you watch? 
I watched three as well, but I thought you may have watched oh. one of them. But maybe start we? with one—the one you think, just in case. If Sans? Oh, I did, did watch, watch Sans. Sans. Okay, I didn't write. I didn't know Sans. you watched Sans. That's oh, I had yeah. no idea you watched. Okay, well, that was in our. We talked about it. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. We texted through you're the whole right. damn thing. No, no, I saw it a different day, but yes, you are right. I do remember this now. It's all coming back, you know. If I can't watch Which podcast, texting, am I, I here? Even, how do I even watch movies I if I can't text Elric every thought as it goes through my yes, brain? I, en- I, I mean, enjoyed your um, uh, Zack Snyder thoughts last night, so uh, which I haven't watched yet, but we'll get to that. We're going we'll to get to that, to that one. Uh, I just want to know about the so. tiger. That's all I want to know about. So when we get there, uh, you have to sell me on watching it because one of my friends really liked it and many people did not so i don't know where to fall i'm kind of lost so sh- maybe i should kick off okay i think you one. should because so, the running okay. time is the only thing holding me back otherwise i want to watch so, it okay so let's talk about some army yeah, of the dead i will so this one um debuted on netflix maybe this week or no, last this week, week. It's, right it's yeah it's only a few days yeah. this week yeah okay it's only been there for a few days this is Zack snyder and i tend to love Zack snyder because one of the dead was does giant music video style you know just we're gonna throw fucking everything at the wall and it's just gonna be big and epic and all of the effects and gore are crazy and i tend to just love that um this movie is two and a half hours long and that is my biggest complaint about it i will say the opening 10 minutes the opening credits on this movie are the most epic thing i have seen in years like the opening credits if the movie lived up to the first 10 minutes of the opening credits, this would be like, I think the that's what Dick, I think Dick said. The opening credits was his favorite movie of the year. <laughs> so it is the opening credits are the best thing I, I have seen okay. in years. Um, I will start with the concept because the concept of this and what it is trying to do is such a cool concept. So the whole concept is that this government, um, there's this government kind of experimental zombie and he's being driven through the desert of Vegas and to, Drunk newlyweds who are getting a blowjob in a car are driving out of Vegas, have just gotten married. They're distracted. They crash into the army van hauling the zombie. They crash. Everything explodes and the zombie breaks loose and it's now headed to Vegas. And so the opening credits are a zombie horde and the infection spreading taking over Las Vegas. And that's where it's- How does, the, um, it's how like, does it spread in this version? Is it like bites or- It's, okay. rage. Oh, it's rage. It's rage zombie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's total rage zombie. It's still the idea that you have to ki- you shoot their head to stop them. Like you have to destroy the brainstem to stop them. Um, but it is very much like a rage zombie where it's through bites. It happens very fast. It's clearly sped like an infection and, um, and they run and it's just mm-hmm. a ragey thing. And so the movie opens with Las with uh, Las Vegas completely being decimated. They take shipping crates and they build this giant perimeter around Vegas and trapping all the zombies in there. And then right outside of it, there's an encampment of people who seem to their main source of income is they sneak back into the zombie quarantine zone and steal money either from casinos or out of the zombies' pockets. Once they die, the zombies actually dry out. They can Mm. dry out in the sun. And then when it rains, they all start like coming back to life. Oh, interesting. Um, So there's some really cool concepts in here. Now, where the story really kicks in is this really wealthy business guy who used to run one of the largest casinos in Vegas shows up. And he's like, the government decides that they want to rid the world of the zombie infection once and for all. And since Vegas is already walled off, the president decides he's going to drop a nuclear bomb. All of the zombies will be wiped out and then problem solved. 
And so we know that the bomb is supposed to drop in like three days. This casino owner shows up for this ex- from trying to talk to this ex-military guy and is like, I know how good you are with like operations. In the safe of my old casino is $200 million. If you can get to my old casino, break into the safe, which is like this crazy safe, and bring me all $200 million, there's even a helicopter already sitting on the roof, I will let you and your team have $50 million and you guys can split it and you'll each walk away with like $3 million for what is all, or like $10 million for ultimately what is like one day's worth. Hold of on, let me pause you but for one to- second and say this is the greatest idea for a movie ever. Uh- a, a literally a heist yeah. zombie apocalypse movie, like yes, heist zombie. I, I don't want to watch another just normal movie. zombie film, but this, all right, right. All right. So we might have something. So it is. It, it, that's why I said it is the greatest concept. If somebody had pitched yeah. this to me, I would have been like, they have to fight their way through zombie Las Vegas to break into a casino bake safe to get two hundred million dollars and then get back out. Awesome. They accept. So immediately they start assembling the team. And this is where it gets aliens like because they're assembling this team of like mercs to go in. You've got your weapons expert. You got the safe cracker guy. You got the woman who can fly the helicopter. Um, and so you've got the, the explosions expert. And so you've got all of these different skill sets and they're all very distinctive personalities. You've got the sharpshooter who learned how to do it playing video games and then shot YouTube footage of him shooting zombies square in the head. And so everybody comes from these different walks of life. So it's very kind of mm-hmm. aliens in that setup. And then they all come together as this team. You've got the female French hot coyote who sh- who uh, takes people in and oh, out yeah, cool. of Las Vegas all the time. Who's going to like lead them in and lead them out because she knows the territory in the world. And they get in there. And what they discover is that the zombies that are remaining there, most of the zombies have dried out. Most mm-hmm. of them have completely decimated. The zombies that remain are not just mindless zombies. They are smart they hunt in packs. They have a caste system and they they feel love. They communicate with each other. They it's it's a full-blown society. And so they're now within this society of very hunt smart zombies hunting them like predators. Ooh. Ooh, don't so give too much, much more because I'm kind of getting okay. into it now. That's that's where I'll about stop, at what point in the running time would you guess that that is? Just out of your guessing. Like maybe, halfway or a third? Oh. Okay. Halfway, 30 oh, minutes wow. okay. in, 30 minutes in, we so establish all that. It's really quick. Now, here's mm-hmm. the problem. This movie, if we assume that that team of mercs that they have assembled is eight people, every single one of those eight people is going to have a very in-depth backstory oh, and beeline. Oh. Backstory. That's what yep, slows the course, movie yeah. down. It's all about character building and all about their beelines. And honestly, I wanted this thing to be underwater mm. because I don't really care about, you know, that you just had this crazy thing happened right beforehand yeah. and that that's what's doing this and that's why you respond this way. Not not with movies just like this. Give me the yeah, immerse action. me and let it happen. And 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 your clever writing reveal backstory <laughs> instead right? of flashback. Yeah, that's yeah. totally fine. But there is so much backstory in this. So that's literally okay. why it is two and a half hours long is that every single one of those eight mercenaries has this very in-depth backstory. But does it feel um, so? Because, you know, I've watched three-hour movies that felt very fast. In fact, this weekend I watched an 80-minute movie that felt 17 hours. It was painful. So, so like, you know, a timing is is not always relevant, but did it feel like it slows or not? Admittedly, 
at moments. I did not, because there are so many crazy action scenes in this. Like uh, when they get to the casino floor and there's zombies everywhere and they're on slot machines. The, the zombie tiger, which they call Valentine, and they per- they state that it was one of Siegfried oh, cool. and Roy's old tigers. Um, that thing, there's a fight scene with it that is just amazing. Okay. Some of the kills in it are just fantastic. Um, and so there's a lot of really good stuff going on that made this movie. It made me still really glad I watched it. And there were so many scenes in this where I was like, that is awesome. And then it would slow down for a backstory while we flash back to the scene she had with her dad 10 years ago that explains why she's damaged now. And then I was just like, oh God, it's just killing the exposition is just withering yeah, on save the it for TV. It's a TV. That. That's a TV show. So, that's really what it felt like was it felt like it had television pacing. Like this was felt like it was supposed to be a couple yeah. of episodes of a series run. Cause we were every single one of these people were supposed to be this very in-depth character. And traditionally you would only do that for your Ripley. Everyone else can have a little bit, but you only do it for your Ripley. But I mean, every single one of them had, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tempted stuff. to do it tonight. I've got to be honest. Depends what time we wrap this, but like, I, I do want to see it and I kind of want to do it before I lose interest, you know, because sometimes when things go to Netflix after a while, I can very quickly go, eh, it's just there forever, whatever. It's, it's yeah. worth, and I mean, I understand people's frustration with it because there were so many moments that I was just like, move it along. I just want to get back to the zombies, guys, but still. And I will say, I went into this very, very skeptical because I'd seen all the bad reviews and I'm really zombied out right now. Like if somebody told me and we're going to watch a zombie film, I immediately kind of roll my eyes because I'm ready for something a little bit different. I feel the same way about haunted house movies right now. Like you really have to convince me to watch them just because I feel like it's all we've seen for the past decade. Um, But this does something kind of good. They're really badass set pieces, just really long really arduous getting through the character work. I'll try. Um, I'll do a real quickie because it's one I want you to see uh, because I want to hear your thoughts. I I was surprised you hadn't seen it. I thought it would be your bag straight away, which is um, the new Alexander Aja film um, coming off Crawl, which we all loved, called Oxygen. And it's on, I believe it went straight to Netflix. Um, I think it was made for Netflix. Oh, I saw this pop up last night on my recommendation. Yeah, so this is so anything. I'll watch anything Aja does. I'm always curious what he's up to, and I I like this one. Um, there's a couple like where it goes. I, it, there's very little I'll be able to say about this one because it's so minimal. So basically, it is a woman played by uh, Melanie Laurent, who I love. She's from uh, Inglorious Bastards and a lot of other stuff. People would recognize her, and she wakes up, and it's basically like buried. The movie buried. She wakes up and she is in a chirogenic chamber, like on her back. She's got all this kind of medical stuff over her. She has no idea where she is. She's talking to like a HAL, you know, 2001 type computer system interface. Uh, She has no idea where she is physically, uh, like what hospital she's in anywhere. And no one's responding except for this computer system. And she has no idea how she got there. No memory of who she is. Uh, But it's a very smart system. So it can do things like Google searches, like Siri. It can do anything like that. And here's the Mm -hmm. kicker. She's she wasn't meant to wake up. She's not chirogenic, so it's like meant to keep going. It's an accident that she's woken up and she only has thirty percent oxygen and it's dipping oh. because she woke up. It would have been fine if she hadn't woken up, but it is now dipping. So she basically has to figure out who she is, why she's there, where she is, and why she's running out of oxygen before she dies. And it and it never leaves the room. So I can tell you upfront, the camera is basically never going to leave the chamber you're in. So, which is just like buried in movies like that. So I won't tell you any of the back part and some of my frustrations maybe towards the end, but, but even then it's still really well done. She's great. And I don't feel, I feel like the, you know, I saw a couple of people rave, but I'm kind of surprised given, you know, these movies are always impressive to me when somebody can 
keep the camera in such confined space. Yeah, it's kind of one I think you should just, yeah, I think also because it's also got us obviously a sci-fi edge because it's a cryogenic thing. Um, yeah, and I like yeah. Aja. So so I thought this was a really interesting one. So I'll wait, I'll hold off to hear your thoughts as well. Um, but I dig it and I think people should check it out. Interesting flick. Excellent. Oh my gosh, I've heard uh, good things about yeah. this one. So I'm excited to jump in. It. And so then let's do Seance. Seance. So we both yeah. watched this one. This is brand new from RLJ. Um, and we were both really excited about this because this is the first film directed by Simon. Yeah, so he's written, obviously, You're Next the Guest and Back to the VHS Days. He was writing those. He was, uh, you know, working with, obviously, Adam for a long time, the Blair Witch remake. So he's obviously a great writer. Uh, first time, I, I assume he may have directed one of the later shorts of vhs or something i think he might have done a short or something but but this is the first feature yeah for sure and so and i like the cast suki waterhouse was good in um is it the bad batch i believe uh and and madison bd is the redhead from uh once upon a time uh she's one of the manson uh, acolytes so she she's like you know uh, she's one gets her face all mashed um but anyway i thought i thought the cast was really interesting you know here the thing is i prefer the world of this one to like the world of say black christmas from last year you know, because they're similar worlds. Like, and I like the girls in that one too. But here, I just I felt more settled. Like they're actually young people at a prestigious academy, and and very catty. And you know, a, a new girl basically comes. But well, sorry, I'm skipping way ahead. Of course, we just kind of read the story to people in the ad. But um, basically, a prank goes wrong. Like they're doing kind of a, a faux Bloody Mary type scare. It's this. Well, it's this group of girls that they seem like that's their yeah. thing. Is they play these like freaky because they're so bored there, right? Each other. Yeah. These really elaborate tricks where they try to you know scare the shit but out. One of One goes other. horribly wrong, and one of the girls dies, and you know I won't say exactly how. And then this new girl basically takes her place in this prestigious academy, and you don't know takes over. Yeah, her takes room. her room and yeah. is trying to settle in. But of course, the girl there's a lot of bullying, and uh, that it, basically as it starts developing, we start it basically becomes a slasher film but the element you know girls are being knocked off after they do this kind of seance together but the twist being they're also it's a ghost story because there's also a ghost they're thing. yeah a ghost. so so it's kind of hard i don't want to spoil kind of where it goes with their t- those two threads i for me the one thing that it didn't like because I, I was really i really enjoyed it all the way and i think it borrows a little bit from your yeah, next with some of the character stuff which i thought was cool but but i where i was a left a little disappointed by the end is that the, those two elements don't really come together by the end the slasher and the ghost story one of yeah, they don't necessarily answer the questions raised yeah. by each other. And so one just kind of gets Yeah, wrong. yeah, which is, a, that's, um, a, that's the only, like, and, and in terms of directing, everything about it, I, I enjoy, I enjoyed the characters. I was, like, liking being in that world um, and seeing a slasher film set. But there was that, like, there's always that thing, oh, if you're going to give me something new, I want to see those two things come and create the thing I haven't quite seen before. This one, it did have some really good jump scares. That's what I, I enjoyed about this is um, in addition to, you know, having this kind of like Suspiria or the woods quality with the girls school, it it did paint this kind of beautiful backdrop for the jump scares with this like old mahogany girls school and stodgy, you know, mistresses who who don't really listen to the girls and think that they're just- I'll almost watch any of those. <laughs> like I, like yeah, right? in the woods by Lucky McKay. Like they're just, it's one of those subgenres where it's like, I like watching people in a boarding school and things happening. It's just, yeah, probably because I never went it's to one. So fun. It's, it's fun to watch it happen. But <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it. So like, yeah, this, I think it's got a great poster too. So hopefully people will, will dig this. I think he's trying something and I think it's a solid debut. So um, hopefully he'll keep, keep at it. Um, yeah. What was your, any others? I have one more new one. So yeah, I got one more. This one is not new, but I just found it mm-hmm. on Netflix. Um, and I watched this last night. 
uh, no, I'm sorry. I watched Army of the Dead last night. I watched it two nights ago. And this is Devil's mm. Gate from 2019, which is on Netflix now. And someone had recommended this to me on Twitter because a couple of days ago I was bitching that there's no um, scary alien movies oh. anymore. Like I really like. There will um, be after this year. Now that you've been watching the news, yeah. right? They're now they're now proving that actually it's, it's true, and, and no one's talking about it. And every time I look at those news, I'm like, does any is this the problem with Twitter that we are paying attention to like uh, people's hot takes on films and aliens are real? <laughs> well, so here's my theory on that because I've had this conversation is. If you say, even still, like just putting on the news, like, holy shit, aliens really exist right now, you still sound crazy because we have spent literally decades building up the idea that if you say, I've seen an alien, that you're just insta crazy. And so now if somebody is like, oh no, I really did see this thing. And even now that we're like, and it is real, we're still all like, oh, you're probably still crazy. No, it's pretty, but in fairness, and and if no one knows what we're talking about, in fairness, it might not be aliens, obviously, but what they are saying is real, is UFOs are real because they've had so many documented sightings of something they cannot figure out. And and it's been- more or less covered up, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious about that, but, I but mean, it does mean that's a good reason still, to dive into it. Like that's a good time. Yeah. And I, I think that we are as a, as a society are still kind of, you know, inclined to have like the ancient alien response of wait, aliens built the pyramid. Sure. They yeah. fucking did weird. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you know, and I will still watch ancient aliens. I've seen every single episode, but I still approach it with a, that's fascinating that they did that. It's still probably not true. They made it um, do- so Dogecoin just, or whatever it's called. All, all this Bitcoin yeah, is created just, by aliens clearly because no one understands it yet. <laughs> We're just all programmed for it. Um, but anyway, so Devil's Gate, this one, I, I legit kind of enjoyed yeah. this. I will say it's small. It's a low budget, but this one has some good effects to it. Um, starring Sean Ashmore, who I love. The whole concept is it's this very rural kind of middle America, nothing for, you know, 20 miles and then a single farmhouse type environment in this really small town. This wife and son have disappeared. And the FBI has gotten involved because the local PD is like, well, it clearly isn't the husband because we know him and he's a good religious hmm. man. And so an FBI agent rolls into town and is like, okay, yeah, we, we think it's probably the husband and the wife and son are still missing. And they decide they're just going to kind of roll out to his house and threaten him and say, where the hell are your son? And the local PD played by Sean Ashmore is like, I went to school with him. He's a church going dude. He definitely did not kill his wife and son. And they roll out there and he is really manic and preaching about these angels that watch over the house that took his wife and son. And he's got one locked up in the Mm -hmm. basement and everybody's like, dude's crazy. And then what you realize is it's kind of an alien story, but as told from this devoutly religious perspective of what if you believed so heavily and and that the aliens didn't really look like what you expect the aliens to look like? Like, what if they were white and kind of really tall? Um, and so it's the idea that, you know, he, even it was his family land and his family had been saying for decades that, you know, or for, for different generations that angels watch over the property. And then you realize that there's kind of, it's an alien mm-hmm. thing. And the aliens in this look Awesome. Um, it's definitely a combination of like practical effects and CG, but that was kind of the movie. It's still a low budget indie. There's moments where it drags a little bit. Um, it's very sepia toned, which I found kind of taxing. Like it's a very brown, gray movie, really lacking in color. Any, um, any but, stuff? N- 
I always know, that's always you know, what puts me off some of the alien movies. Yeah, it's always, there was, oh, yeah, oh, I was, no. I was like, honestly, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, Elric? I've seen Is Christopher Walken. I don't well, know. I think I was like 15 when I saw what happened to Christopher Walken. I think I was in shock for years after that. No, no, okay. no. No butt yeah. stuff. <laughs> I know they have more tech terms in, in uh, <laughs> X-Files. I wish the audience could have seen my face when you said that, because it was literally like, what the fuck is he talking about? The main thing Um, is Ernie knew what I was talking about, and that's all that really matters. No one can hear or see him, but they know. He knows. No, no, no alien butt stuff in this. It's a more wholesome alien. Just... I appreciate that. They're angelic. Um, but no, this we call them missionary it, aliens. It's <laughs> <laughs> just very straightforward. Meat it's, and potatoes aliens. It's very much like a, a low budget indie um, channeling aliens. And so I really appreciate it in that. I, I was um, rather surprised on this one. I legit went in with kind of a, a skepticism, but really ended up liking it. So that was Devil's Gate to, on uh, Netflix. We might need now. to do a little alien episode now. Like with all the, uh, the one I, the one. Maybe that needs to be the next yeah, episode that we're doing two weeks. I, I need to remind you. It's all aliens are into butts. Well, not all of them, but anything with Walken. It could just be Walken. He's a very appealing man, uh, especially back then. Um, <laughs> uh, but Altered. Altered is the movie uh, that I only saw for the first time like last year or whatever. And man, that was such a good movie by the director of Blair Witch. And it's just like one of the best of those kind of alien ones. Um, I've never dude, seen Dude, I think that you would one. love it. It's very handmade as well because the aliens... Are, they end up capturing the alien and torturing it. It's like a revenge film with an alien. It's so freaking. I hadn't seen it either, and I didn't. I was like, "How did I miss the next film by the guy who did Blair Witch?" Like, honestly, I think it's still not the easiest thing to find. I don't know how that's possible, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it was one of the best films I saw that like uh, from last year or whenever it was. I sort of lost a couple years because of the pandemic. I have no clue anymore. I don't um, remember, but I do. There was one that I watched on Hulu during the pandemic that was um, a horror comedy about aliens, little fuzzy mm-hmm. aliens. That was just wonderful so if we do that for the next episode you have to go back and watch okay, that. well we'll do it at some um, point if not the next one we'll do it soon um okay so i saw one uh, kind of a new spin on an old take it was called a brand new film called the retreat directed by pat mills this is a uh like it was brand new and i think i saw phil noble doing like some maybe an editorial where he was talking about it because some people are being mad or people are being, you know, pissed off about something to do with the, I have, don't actually know what they're angry about, but maybe it'll become clear when it, so it's about a, there's a lesbian couple in the city who are, their relationships like fresh, but, but like already they're reaching a stage where like one of them doesn't really want to talk about the future and the other one kind of is wanting to set down some stakes. And so, you know, the description IMDb is rocky. And I'm like, I don't think it's rocky. They seem to actually be really in love. It's more just, you know, they just don't know what the future is going to hold. So they book this, um, an Airbnb cabin in the middle of nowhere that is run by a, a gay couple that who do like a cool video. And, but the mo- movie opens on a cold open of a different couple, uh, two guys going there for a retreat. And then somebody, terrorizing them and you don't see what it is and it's kind of scary so anyway this couple they get out there they're also going to meet their uh two uh, f- you know a pair of friends of theirs who were probably the guys in the cold open actually now they think about it and they're not there <laughs> they're just not there and so they're like oh where'd they go and funnily enough that you should say ashmore because i can't give you a sean ashmore but i can give you his brother who is his twin who is in this and 
Oh, they're taking over the world. I actually Ashmore's. thought it was Sean because he's I, he's the actor. I know. I didn't realize the other one acted. Dana, maybe. Um, and he, but does, so he's he's in a, a convenience store on the way, and he hits on one of the girls because the other one's in the bathroom. And then the other one comes back and he's like, oh, you're a couple. Like, there's this very clear, he was like hitting on her. And then he's like, oh, you're a couple. And then basically he's part of this like dark, 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 almost like military group. group like stream what they're doing or to other like awful people to try to basically kill gay people. And it's kind of wild. But then thankfully, that's not the whole story. Thankfully, then it becomes a kick-ass revenge. We're going to mess these assholes up kind of movie. And the action's really good, and like the couple, I, the cool thing is I really like the couple for one. They're like cool characters. You like mm-hmm. them, uh, and then they actually kick ass in ways that I, you know, we're, we're it's again pretty generic, except for that switch. But that's enough sometimes to keep you in a movie and, and kind of enjoy it. So I thought it was fun, you know, uh, fun kind of revenge trope. Maybe it's like a more serious version of the hunt or something. It's you know, the hunt is obviously more satirical. So, so that's the retreat. And that was. That one's on Amazon. I, you know, paid for it on Amazon. Indie stuff, probably five bucks. Nice. So that is new movies. Well, Elric, we have to jump back for some old movies. This is it. This is the end of our, I feel like we've been doing it for like three months, but it's probably only been three episodes. Our 80s. It's been one month. Because that's what we planned was we were like, June has three weeks that we were doing this. We had three weeks worth of shows in June. So we were like, we did the first one the was our favorite non-franchise, and then we did our favorite '80s international, and now we are rounding it out with our favorite '80s, 80s sequels. sequels. No restrictions. Before we get into this, uh, give me one Carpenter from the '80s and one King because we missed it all the way through the others. Oh, if you had to pick one Carpenter um, from the '80s. What is your? Is it an obvious one? Or? Probably. I would probably say the yeah, fog. fog is fog's a masterpiece, right? I, I'm sometimes the funny yeah. thing about this, this episode too is that sometimes it's more not my favorite, but the one I've just lightly started crushing on. Like to me, mm-hmm. sometimes I crush on Prince of Darkness. And I'm like, that's so baddie, and um, and then with King, yeah. so I, I'm gonna say Prince of Darkness, even though the thing is, you know, obviously the best and my favorite, but you know, I will like I loved the fog when I was yeah. a kid because I thought it was so it's crazy because like in Appalachia we have like intense fog like there's moments where you literally will wake up in mm. a cloud and I always found it to be, just be so eerie um, especially because I lived on the water but as I grew older I had much more of a deeper appreciation for they live oh yeah no I, I, I again like I said I can't even touch on Carpenter in the 80s without me wanting to put every one of his films on my list he's yeah. the best director of that decade for me like he's just he was killing it. Okay, so King. For King's King, tough. It's another one where I would say, like, if you'd asked me at that time period in the 1980s, Children oh, of the weird. Corn fucked my shit up when I was a kid. I mean, like, Malachi and Isaac and all of it just completely melted my little brain in the 80s. Um, but now that I go back and watch that movie again, it has not aged as well as I would have liked yeah. it to. Um, but like just looking back at my straight childhood, that was bad. I mean, it was, it was no, intense. they're good. That's what I love about his stuff too. Like, obviously, Shining's my favorite movie of all time, so it doesn't even, I can't even bring it in the mm-hmm. conversation. It's too easy, but I think Christine's the biggest grower. It's the one that, like, when I was young, I didn't 
completely love it when I was a kid. And I didn't no, I, I don't know what that was kid, about yeah. too. It may, and I thought his performance wasn't great when I was a kid, which is so interesting. I now see it as like this amazing performance and one of the best adaptations ever. It's just, it's really an incredible movie. But Cujo, I think is the one for me, like Cujo really messed me up when I was young. It scared the hell out of me. I still think it's some of the best performances. It's sad. It's a really intense, you know, again, these guys, there's so many. We, that will be its own episode one day. We'll do a something just called King Carpenter. We'll look at, <laughs> we'll, we'll break that all. When, when was the Stan TV I think that's show? I think like that was probably 90. And I'm sure we're going to do a 90s yeah, countdown I, at some point. At some point, I'm sure. Yeah. I have a new deeper appreciation for that. Having seen kind of the Stan TV show that they did and some of the things that I missed. That oh, you saw the new one? Stan Everest. I have not TV seen it. Okay. Parts of it. I, I didn't watch much of it. Uh, the first couple episodes, but it definitely the original TV, which I think probably was eighties. Cause I was young. Unless it's 90 though. Like um, actually I'm going to. I feel like it was probably 89 as we Google while yeah. we're doing the show. Um, but no, that one, I remember messing me up. I was probably really young when I first, uh, 1990. So right. Yeah, on the it, fe- it feels um, like it's right on the cusp too. Cause it's not quite eighties yeah. aesthetic, but it's definitely not late night. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Uh, shout out to Mick. And also just to say, and I did actually write him an email, which I, I don't do that for people. Like just so you know, like I'm not somebody who like listens to something, but Mick did two episodes uh, Mick Garris's podcast. He did two episodes, one with Clive Barker and one with Frank Darabont. And if you haven't listened to them, they are two of the best things I've heard all year. Uh, Frank Darabont hadn't talked about the industry. I mean, since his big Walking Dead exit and debacle. I mean, this is a guy who's just not, we, no one's heard from him because Mick's friend, fascinating about the industry and it is raw. Um, he is not holding anything back and it's fascinating. And then Clive, as somebody like Clive's, you know, for me, maybe even bigger than Car- uh, King for me personally, just, just as a too. creator and, and a visionary, um, he, uh, you know, he sounded great. And he tells all these amazing stories about his childhood and, and, and just it's more about him as a writer than the directing stuff. But I just found both interviews to be really inspiring. And, you know, sometimes I don't pay attention to, you know, other podcasts or whatever. Like, I'm not always on top of it. I just happen to listen. And so I, I did have to write to make and say, look, these two are just so inspirational and great work and so you know if you're not listening to that i know he just moved over to dread central just recently so uh but his show's going strong for many many years so congrats to Mick. and those i think you will definitely like the clive barker interview because so much of it was existential and about just weird like this death that he saw when he was a a young boy of this guy jumped out of a plane and just lots of crazy stuff like that that i found really interesting um well, I'm about to, uh, I'm, I'm making the strong decision to mm. drive to my sh- film right. shoot because I want my car there. So I'm about to do four days um, cross country. So yeah, I got some time. I still so think I you should use listen. me as a driver. I think that'd be, uh, and <laughs> I could talk so for four hours. you can keep company in the car <laughs> and then fly easier. you back. Um, or something. Yeah, I can, I can hitch back. Hitching's fine. I've seen movies. <laughs> it all works out. You see, it totally works out. It's totally fine. Uh, that's good. Uh, all right, 1980s. Well, speaking of sequels. hitching, let's go some 1980s. 1980s sequels. Those are kind of the restrictions. Uh, again, some will be favorites. Some so, will be great. Some might not be. It might be a mixed bag. Who knows? So I will say we did kind of set, um, I, I won't call them rules, but we both said, okay, well, when we do this, are we including kind of 
franchise reboots, things like The Fly or The Blob, where they were rebooted in the 1980s. And we decided, nope, it's going to be way more fun if we just do straight. Yeah, you could do Fly 2. But we decided just to go straight. Yeah, and The Blob made my first, even though that could have been called a franchise, I guess The Blob made my first, whatever we did in the 80s, the first 80s episode. Yeah, so we're just going into the sequel. So so this will be an interesting bag. And I, you know, I definitely, compared to the previous two episodes, I would expect maybe four or five. I'm going to say okay. five. Yeah, way that. more than the other episodes um, for sure. Yeah. So same rules apply. If it's higher on the other person's list, we say higher on the list and we hold it to talk about until the other it comes up on the mm-hmm. other person's list. Yeah, let's. Because I have a feeling I'm going to be kicking off with one that's higher maybe, on your list. Maybe, but I, like I got, when I got down, yeah, you probably would. But when I got down to it, there was a few that, there's a couple bonker ones that I really like that didn't quite make it. So I do want to at least give them a shout out at the end. Uh, but but I'm hoping that maybe one makes your list. So, Well, and I will say if you are on our Patreon, um, we are releasing kind of our list of the 20 most bonkers 80 right, sequels. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there. they weren't necessarily. So be coming out I don't think any week. of them will be on this, but they're ones that are still fun to watch because uh-uh. they're crazy. Like, so that's like, I mean, that's the cool thing about the eighties. The eighties were like the other thing I was writing down on a couple of these. Like, how much later was this than the first one? Because obviously, in the eighties, things were happening mm-hmm. fast. Sometimes they took a you know before they were uh, remaking these things or uh, putting out sequels. I think there's some also like how much money's pumped into it. You know, some of these are bonkers yep. big, and some are just quick ripoffs, right? So. I do think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this decade. We'll never see the likes of which again, um, unless maybe streaming wars start doing crazy shit, you know, with all, Amazon taking over MGM today, which is bonkers. Um, so yeah. we'll see what happens. So number 10 on your list. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors from 1987. So I Not on my list, but when I get to the one that is on my list, you will hear me say, I know Nightmare 3 is easily the best. It's not even a question, but I choose something else I want to talk about today. So so Nightmare 3, um, this was probably the first one that I saw oh, cool. um, with Nightmare 3. Because for some reason, I'd never, I mean, I definitely was watching horror by this point. Not even, I mean... Like I was what, like 10. Um, so I was watching, you know, horror by this point, but nothing too extreme, I would think. Um, eh, okay, maybe not. I'd probably seen definitely some more like Friday the 13th and Halloween yeah. type stuff by this point. But for some reason, Nightmare on Elm Street had never really been on my radar. But I remember the neighbor, Matthew Robertson, um, name checking him now. Um, he's now a cop. Uh, watching um, Nightmare on uh, Elm Street 3. And I remember going over and watching it with him and it was my first intro to Freddy and it melted my brain and just being like, what the fuck is happening? Like I didn't because so much of it is built on part one and part two of how Freddy functions. Um, And I remember just being so enamored by the fight that you could fight back in your dream if you were visualizing it. I was almost let down when I saw part one and part two and that was not Mm. a part of it. Because I remember thinking that that was such a cool thing, especially because one of the kids has um, that, you know, they, they've all got kind of these these little kind of not disabilities, but they all have like their Achilles heel. And, you know, the one thing that makes them different that has brought them to this kind of group home. I just love this one. It's so fun. It's where Freddie definitely kind of emerges more as kind of the stand-up comedian. He starts getting oh, yeah, funny yeah. in this one. With and the, the visual his, gags. That's the, the other thing. Time. Even when they're scary, they're still visual gags compared to the other films, you know. 
Yeah, the puppet stuff, you know, the heroin, like it's all got so visual based. And it's what we see in Nightmare on Elm Street to come. This one really did pivot the entire franchise in a different direction. And it brings Langenkamp back to the series. And so it does a lot. No, it's one of the best horror sequels, period. Like it really is like it's probably number one for almost most people. And I think it was very high on our Freddy versus Jason draft. Yeah. It was. I think it was number yeah, two so. on Freddy or three. Okay. Three. It was number okay. three on Freddy versus Jason. Um, I will always be rocking with Dokken as well. So just a killer soundtrack yeah. out of this one. Okay. Well, my number ten um is is one that I'm growing to appreciate more and more. Um, when I first saw it, something about it made me upset, and it's pretty obvious what. And that is Phantasm Two, uh, directed by Don nice. Coscarelli. I Phantasm One is becoming one of my favorite horror films. Like just one of it's in the top three or four these days for me because I think it's the handmade feel and the kind of hangout vibes and I love Coscarelli and uh, Phantasm 2 first time I saw it I just didn't understand why James LaGrosse was in it instead of Michael A. Baldwin and that really threw me off and I really struggled with it for years because it just was like wait that kid gave one of the best performances in any movies as as a kid and here he is the movie's made 10 years later so it's quite a while or nine years later and you know they just replace him and it just felt weird James LaGrosse is obviously a more famous actor um, but Reggie Bannister is back in there which is important uh, and Angus Scrimm's back what's cool about this movie and what I've grown to love is man the effects and the world building is much bigger the action's a lot bigger it's you know Universal put this out put a lot of money into it so on that now what I realized, what I didn't, I knew, I knew that Universal were the ones not wanting him to rehire Mike Baldwin, but I didn't realize he actually, um, they didn't want to hire Reggie either. So he ended up having to make a choice. He got to hire one of them. So Reggie only got in there. And Reggie, this is something I did not know before this. Reggie Bannister had quit acting right after Phantasm and uh, he ended up working at a funeral home doing embalming. So how wow. weird is that in connection to this? Um, anyway, so he, uh, this is 10 times. Yeah, I think it's $3 million budget. So it's pretty huge uh, compared to the first. Uh, this movie, basically, he's, he gets out James LaGrosse's character. So Mike gets released from, uh, you know, psychiatric help. Uh, you know, he admits that it was all in his imagination. Must be a problem. And then, of course, uh, he hooks up with Reggie. And then it's kind of, uh, they start having these dreams and realize uh, the tall man's kind of back after them. Um, I just, I think this is a blast. I think it's... It's like one of the most fun in the series. Uh, There's some stuff in it that's very uh, odd in terms of like trying to reconnect the first story and the flashbacks and stuff just because of, um, you know, the shift in casting. But uh, I always recommend this to people. And I think the effects in particular are like uh, maybe the biggest and most creative in this one of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Phantasm 2 had to to make the list. (sighs) Okay. Well, my number nine, I can guarantee is not on your list. And this is Psycho 3. Oh my God. You know what's so cool? My number nine is Psycho 2. I love it. I love that we no, both picked was, the Psycho. Oh my gosh. So I was heavily debating between which Psycho. And I will say, if I'm thinking more as like a film critic yeah. or an ac- academic, Psycho 2 is the much better movie. Um, but God damn it, I love Psycho uh, Let's do them both 3. at the same time. So, I'm I'm kind of with you it. because here's the thing. Psycho 2 is the better movie. Like it's a, it's kind of a classic movie. It's actually one of the best sequels yeah. probably ever made because story-wise, it's one of the best sequels. Like it makes sense as a sequel. And I love Psycho 2 because, yeah, it makes sense. It's in canon. It follows yeah. the first one to a T. And what is so beautiful about it, even though that the first one, we get hints of Norman, Psycho 2 is a damn just deep dive into his psychosis. And you like backstory. him. It is just, you know, he's it's very like yeah, It's yeah. this beautiful, 
is portrait of yeah. a serial killer if you really like this. Well, yeah, and if he killer. could be rehabilitated. Oh. So it's like twenty. So we'll yeah. start with a bit of Psycho too, because that'll lead us to three, even though we're both at nine. So this is literally, I mean, it's also kind of unheard of of the time for to make a sequel 23 years later, uh, you know, a direct sequel. So it's just 20. He's been literally in, uh, you know, getting uh, psych help for 23 years and he's being released. Uh, he goes to his uh, prison hearing and they say, yeah, he's he's, you know, rehabilitated, which in his case, you can almost see because of the kind of issues he was suffering at the time. It's not like he was a. Um, a straight serial killer in the, in the idea of somebody who's just going out and getting off on it. He was mentally disturbed. I mean, he imagined he was his mother. That, that's a, that is a more, definitely something that if somebody can help you, great. Uh, he gets out and then basically, uh, reopens, reopens, uh, the motel and s- murders start to happen. But is he the one killing them or is somebody trying to either drive him crazy or frame him? And it becomes, yeah. and it has one, of, like, I definitely am not going to run. I think it's one of the best endings ever in any movie. It's so Hitchcockian. So, so simple. Goddamn. Yeah. It just takes you oh, out of it. And it's, it's amazing. Um, Endless. Oh, it's so good. And and so it, it really follows the other. It's by Richard Franklin, who's a great direct, Australian director who is really, he also made another Hitchcock reference to Road Games as a rear window on wheels, basically, uh, which is uh, which is funny. I did not know that this was a Tarantino favorite. Apparently, this is actually one of Tarantino's favorite sequels I just read, which I didn't know this until just wow. looking up now. Psycho 2. Uh, but it makes sense because he obviously likes Franklin. But um, but uh, here's the thing. Like, this one's really restrained. The character work is brilliant. Uh, Tom Holland did the script, you know, which is awesome. But I always tell people, like, even unrelated, like with you, anytime, especially I was like in my 20s, I'd always be like, but you know what? I think the most Hitchcockian of all the movies is Psycho 3. I feel like Anthony Perkins yeah. is like channeling De Palma and, and Hitchcock and going all the way with this crazy movie. For Psycho 3, I love Psycho 3 because it is so fucking bonkers and sleazy. Mm-hmm. It is just sleazy yeah. the way that it shot all of the plot points. So it begins with this suicidal nun. And obviously suicide is considered a sin. So she's completely ostracized from the convent and kicked out. Plus you love nun movies. um, So this is a no brainer. Right. And so she ends up at Bates Motel. And by this time, Bates Motel has kind of become this party motel. And it's attracting just all of these wild partiers, one of whom right then is um, this like drunken musician played by Jeff Mm -hmm. Fahey, who's like all types of edgy and violent and like fucking up his hotel room. There's all these other partiers there. And so she rolls in and her name is Maureen. And Maureen's last name, I can't even remember. It starts with a C. She has the same initials as uh, Marion, as, um, yeah. as Crane, Marion Crane. And, and she looks mm. like Marion Crane as well. And so in Norman's mind, it kind of sets off mother. And mother comes back. And you're again suspicious of this mother thing is kind of stalking the new um, you know, nun who's kind of hiding out there, Maureen, but it's bringing something back. And you see Norman getting unhinged, but at the same time, you see these murders starting up as well. And it is Hitchcockian, but it has this level of De Palma. Yeah, it's almost camp, to it. camp De Palma, like where it's like these yep. big shots. It's Hitchcock, but done in the way where if Hitchcock was allowed to do his perverse side, which he obviously had, yep. uh, and not restrain it, it, this is where you go to. So I, I think two and three are just great. I think they're both really they're different. So- and fun and perkins got to direct that one which is super cool yeah part three is directed by perkins it's um written by charles edward pogue Mm. who wrote the fly like the big 1986 the fly and he's got a lot like dragon heart and a bunch of other credits um but yeah three is just it's a great de palma film that happens to be 
directed by Anthony. Yeah, Parker. no, that's so cool that we put them at the same spot. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and, well, and we're actually pretty <laughs> close in general because here's my Nightmare on Elm Street one. Uh, my number eight is, um, well, I guess, wait, whose turn is it? Um, no, actually, it's your turn. Uh, because, yeah, yeah, it's your turn. Sorry, uh, I just realized we both did a number at the same time. Yes, yeah, so your number eight. Yes. Yeah. My number eight is Sleepaway Camp 2 oh. from 1988. Do you know I've never even watched it? So, like, I've always heard it was funny and fun. I've never serious? seen it. So fun. It's a straight-up horror yeah. comedy. It's still got scares to it. It's very self-aware. Like, you know from frame one that Angela, who's played by Pamela Springsteen in this, it just remarkably played by Pamela Springsteen, she is trying to be – it's like stepfather for mm. camp. She is trying to find the perfect campers. And anytime the campers violate that, um, anytime, you know, they go off to have sex or, you know, they're flaunting the goods for the boys camp or they're smoking weed in the outhouse or anything like that, she kills them in really fun ways. And so it is very kind of self-aware and has much more of like a stepfather kind of self-awareness to it where you know exactly who the killer is and you know what you're going in for. And then it's just waiting for the campers to fuck up to see her kill them. And so it's a completely different twist from the beginning. It's a completely different setup from the first one, but it's a horror comedy and a really fun one. And it's really self-aware because this is post Freddy, Jason, the front cover of the box is actually, you see yeah, I've um, seen it with all the pieces, a model that is not her and it's got all the pieces in it. And so it's, <laughs> it's just kind of a really innovative approach. I was not a fan of part yeah. three. Um, and I actually like part two better than part oh, okay. one. I have a great yeah. appreciation yeah, for part, part one's one. Cool movie. But when I was a kid, I would rent part two mm. over and over. So um, yeah, I just had a blast with this one. So that is Sleepaway Camp okay. 2 from 19... Probably going to be the only one on the list that I assume for either of us I haven't seen, so I got to see that. Um, all right, my Nightmare on Elm Street is surprising to me as well because I do think three's the... I mean, I'm, I'm a huge one fan, as you remember. I think one's just one of those movies that's magic. Uh, three, I think, is the best sequel. But the one that I find um, that I want to talk about is actually part two, Freddy's Revenge. And it's not for the, you know, right now, the obvious reasons is it's getting a nice reappraisal because of its, you know, clear uh, gay subtext, more than subtext almost, right? It's most the text. And and I think that it was really strong. But here's the thing. I really like Jack Shoulder as a director. We talked about The Hidden recently. Um, he also directed Alone in the Dark, which was right before Nightmare on Elm Street. And the opening dream mm-hmm. scene of that is almost exactly what the aesthetic of Nightmare would become. So it's kind of... <clears throat> I assume that's what got right? him Like Shay's there, yeah. So this is only one year after... <laughs> I mean, Lip Brothers. So they would have been shooting this on the heels of Nightmare 1 coming out. Um, and I know Wes was very upset about it. Wes didn't want a sequel. You know, this was a, meant to be a one-off thing for him, so he wouldn't be involved. And it breaks certain rules. But the thing about it that <clears throat> is growing in my mind is it's the last time Freddy was really scary. And I think it's really yes. disturbing horror film i think that the death of robert rustler in this is like almost traumatizing it's so sad he's reaching out for his dad and banging on the thing while freddie's just massacring him in this room um the fact that it's a body horror film stays with me like it's the only one that's a pure body like literally he's coming out of the body so even if removing um you know what we're talking about in terms of subtext it's still this really disturbing body horror film for a teenager, for any coming of age story, right? Um, and I find that to be really disturbing. But I remember finding this really scary when I was young and watched it just a couple of years ago again, and probably when we we're doing the draft. And it's still pretty scary because he's not doing one liners. Yeah. There's some lines, but they're not really one liners. They're more 
they're like, you're all my children now. Like that's actually kind of frightening. Um, and he's yes. still distraught. He even bites someone's ankle at one point. And I was like, what the hell's he doing? Like he, that's not part of the, the Freddy we would come to know. Um, so I think this one breaks all the rules. Basically there's a, there's a famous sequence where he terrorizes all the pool goers and that upset a lot of people because technically that's impossible given what he's doing. Like he's, um, they can all see him and they're not asleep basically. Uh, yeah, that one has always been yeah. real controversial because it's Freddy kind of um, breaking yeah. his own rules where they're not in dream world. He just shows up at a pool party and starts. But I guess early in a, in a trilogy, you know, or not a trilogy, early in a series, like breaking a rule, it's probably they're still working out the rules, but but it also is yeah. scarier. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, that's the thing. When something is breaking the rule, it's sometimes a little creepier. I just think this is a movie that um, if people... I, I don't like this idea that somebody writes off this movie calling it camp because it really isn't. There's like a couple scenes where he's dancing. Of course, that's camp and it's like funny and of the time. But there is so much going on in this movie that it is. I, I don't think it can be reduced to one thing. And I do think it's a really and there's some cool clue Gulligers in there. Um, you know, Marshall, Bell, all these older kind of classic actors, too. This is just a really scary. I think it's the last of the you know scary nightmare films, even though there's cool, scary parts all the way through the series. Still my favorite series of any of the franchises, you know, for sure. Um, so that's Nightmare 2. It's definitely growing. Again, one I didn't particularly like when I was young. Like I found it disturbing and weird, but now I'm coming to like it as just a really ballsy horror film. Okay. At my number seven, there was questions last week why I didn't play this oh. on the draft last week or the draft um, on our list last week when uh, we were doing international horror. And it was because I was saving it for here at number seven, Demons Nice. Two. Well, Demons 1 was on our um, last list, so yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Lumberto Bava from 1986. So I think I've probably told this story Tell before on probably every Demons. podcast we've ever done. But I remember renting this for a slumber party when I was eight years old. And the fact of watching the TV screen while the demon, they were watching the demons and then the demon starts coming through the TV screen at eight years old, it fucked mm-hmm. my shit up. And then it suddenly became this like meta thing for me where I started thinking like, can monsters come through the TV screen? Is there a way to kind of do that where because I'm watching it, something can move through? And I I mean, like and I watched it in a group of other girls who were just like, this is silly. And I was like, and oh no one had God, seen one, right? Coming through the TV no one saw it. Why? So you're like, no. this is like your story. Um, uh, my story was Reanimator 2, seeing that before Reanimator 1 really messed me up. I had a similar thing with a couple little kids, and we're watching it, and without a context, it's utterly freaky because it just opens with yeah. a disembodied head, you know? This literally opens with a birthday party, and she's before she comes to the party, she's watching footage of the zombie quar- or the, the demon's quarantine mm. zone. And one of the demons looks at the camera and she sees it on her screen and it does this weird like mind meld with her. And then she gets possessed by the demon, walks into the birthday party, grinds her nails into somebody and boom, she's a demon and the movie takes off. Like there yeah. is no fucking logic or explanation how the demon does that. But you don't need it. And the fact that there was that it's pure nightmare logic, that it can just jump through the screen suddenly. Oh, my God. It melted my brain. I like this one so much. It's it's demons. It feels like Perch 2. It's just like, you know, we created the world in part one, and now we're just going to set it loose on a yeah. And it's fun and sillier and cam- like just crazier, yeah. and the scores, really, the good music's on it. You know, it's got a really good soundtrack mm-hmm. from memory. But I haven't seen that one in a little while, but I, I always liked it. So uh, I'm glad it made the list. Demons 2. All right, my number seven uh, might be higher in your list. It's actually one of my 
personal favorite sequels ever. Um, and I will defend it to the cows come home. And I know you're also fans. So I'll be curious if a little movie called Poltergeist three. Good. Higher. That is higher. So I will I put it aside because I love this movie. Let's wait. Well, we can talk about it now because it's my Yay! number six. Poltergeist. So, <laughs> Poltergeist 3, my number six, and Elric's number seven. Of all the movies I love, this is one of the ones I'm most confused when people don't like it. And I and I mean it. Like when I show it to someone, because it's not like we're just, oh, I love the drama. That No, this is the best practical effects ever. Like they're insane. Oh and it's such a cool movie and such a cool idea. Um, you know, obviously there's tragedy uh, surrounding the movies, uh, you know, with the, with the death of Heather O'Rourke. Again, not as a kid. The, uh, this is when, you know, pre-internet bullshit rumors. It was always, oh, she died. The, my, the story I grew up hearing was when I saw this movie was she died on the set because they made her get into cold water and she got pneumonia. And she got and pneumonia. Like, there I remember yeah, there's not even a trace too. of truth to that. It's like when you start to, you, when yeah. you, as an adult, you learn, oh no, she had this condition and you know, it's, it's completely tragic. And the dra- and it made it sound like Gary Sherman wanted to, you know, to keep shooting. Of course he wanted to shut the whole movie down. It was like you know? this, it was this awful story of like childhood yeah. actors being no, it's, tortured no, it's on crazy. set and that that's what killed her. And, and it was that's so just sad. what you get when the rumors of before the internet could actually strain. So I had nothing to do with that. And there's a great, I thought that episode of the, that show, the curse, I think the one that shutter did a very good one on this because obviously it's a made. Yeah. Thing. Cause it talked about, yeah, it talked about um, the poltergeist franchise in yeah. general um, kind of being, you know, always suspected to be cursed. Right. Because the girl from the first instead, home was, murder the girl from the first one died it was murdered yeah walked off into the woods or something i can't remember what happened to him something weird happened to him there was there was a number of weird stories but that was kind of the point behind the curse series was it was much more um kind of dispelling the myths than adhering to them of like i'll tell you the only one of those though that didn't do that which made it way creepier is the omen one the omen one Makes you yeah. go, wait, this shit was haunted. <laughs> because it's like, this guy got beheaded, and this guy There's died, and this guy- So yeah. much! Like, and it was like, like 50 yeah. people Even the director, him, it was just like even Richard Donner's like, yeah, no, this shit's yeah. weird. There's something going on here. <laughs> it's like, that's the one movie where it's like, that oh, was- maybe. That was a wild episode. But um, yeah, Poltergeist 3. This one has grown with me, which I love. And I do have to say that when I was a kid, I probably watched Poltergeist 3 more Definitely, than Poltergeist me too. 1. Definitely. Poltergeist 1, I remember seeing. It definitely yeah, messed shit up. But yeah. when Poltergeist 3 came out in 1988, I remember renting it as soon as it came out. And definitely, I think I probably watched this one more. Like, it was more fun to me. It had bigger effects. There was more going on. There was a more elaborate plot. It's super in creepy it. in this. And and, and the, the, yeah. the effects where he's walking down the hallway, like, even as a kid. I mean, look, the th- main thing is Gary Sherman... Wasn't wanted to do a Lewis Carroll thing, he said. So it was like through the looking guys, yeah. right? And then I was reading, he, he took, so he knew it was going to have to be all, all CGI. So he decided, instead, I'm going to go the opposite way. And it said, it took him one year of just planning the setups to get them yeah. and storyboard them to figure it out. And you just won't see that in movies anymore. It's so refreshing and exciting. So when somebody walks down and there's all these canes, it's like, that is so creepy. And even as a kid, I knew and it was they creepy. they were all... And they're all actually Yeah, they're all people games. dressed in costume. Oh. I mean, that's the it's it's seeing that commitment to the practical gag. Um and I also like there's a there's something that happens to Laura Flynn Boyle in this, like her gag, where I was like I I'm still to this day, like when it happens, I'm just like, Whoa, how did they do that? Like people coming out of people and things happening. It's just it's wild. And the scene where Carol Ann touches the glass and the hands come through it and knowing it's all practical. And then we actually interviewed Gary at... We've done a couple with him. Yeah, he came on the show once, but we also did a live thing with him about this. Yeah. 
at mm-hmm. Chattanooga Film Fest and hearing his stories about how they executed some of those yeah. mirror gags and that the entire building was made out of these mirrors and then executing. And they actually, um, I was so fascinated because I'd always viewed it as science fiction where it's set in this building where they actually live there, but it's also a mall and people work there too. And it's actually a real building in Chicago. Oh, no, that it's, yeah, no, I looked there for it. It's the John Hancock, <laughs> which is one of the, like, it'd be like going, hey, we got the Empire State Building. Just, just let us shoot here. It's, it's kind of wild, like that it's, so iconic no that's the cool thing this is like a i love that they took this thing that is uh synonymous with suburbia which is the whole point of the poltergeist series right and then took it to the city and made it about this big building and kind of art galleries and like people with a lot of money that looking after carol ann and yet it's to me just as creepy but a little bit more like visually exciting i thought yeah love this film so that is my number You're like six. probably two of the biggest fans of this in the world. So I always find it amusing. Other people would be going, three, seven, three. Like, you know, I, I, two, I've seen the least. I feel like I've seen two like twice in my whole life. You know, two is, it's yeah. sleazy. It's campy. It's got the it's flying monster. in the air kind of stuff. just didn't work for yeah. me. Yeah. There's there's the the weird Native American yeah, lore that yeah, goes with the, it. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of hot mess in. One but number movie. three can't go wrong. And if you have written it off, give it another shot. You might be surprised. And let me point out, it's our first one that is. Yes. So and it was again, it was nice that they're right next to each other because it was my seven and your six, yeah. which means we're up to uh-huh. your your my six. six. Uh, is another one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, Every Halloween, this is the only movie I want to watch. Halloween three, season of the okay, higher on my list. One of the one of the greatest <laughs> movies ever. So we'll come back to it. Um, so now I'm getting confused. Well, then, so we're up to your five. Five. So my five. Um, when we did on screen drafts, when we drafted our Hellraiser films. I was incredibly, incredibly torn putting this as the best Hellraiser. And I ended up putting it at number two, but I still debate that decision to this day. My number five is Hellraiser 2 from 1988. That is, wait, where is my, hold on, I'm trying to get my notes. That is, I'm trying to figure out my notes. Did you not put it on your list? Hold on. Oh, hold on, so but I'm, I'm, I thought it was. Is it your number five? This is like a controversial moment. Like, I'm sure it's on my list and I can't find it. Hold on. More. What? Oh. Well, this is. I No, no. What I did is, no, I um, I must have done a bad cut and paste because it's my number five. But it's. Oh, it's but my it's number not five showing up too. on my note. Like I must have cut and pasted. I go from four to six, and I was like, "Where did it go?" Because it's uh, well, all I'll say on this, and I'll let you mostly do the talking. So wait, you don't have a number well, five? Do. It's Hellraiser two. Uh, I just when I cut and paste my notes, and it's just disappeared. But uh, I, I will say, I believe that this is actually one of the best sequels uh, for a horror film ever in the sense of world building. Um, so this could be even yes. higher on the list. Like really, when you're just looking at like, what did you do? For a franchise, because Hellraiser is one of my favorite horror films. But if you're gonna make a sequel and you're gonna build a whole other world and mythology around it, this movie does it so well. So what I love about Hellraiser two was the story shifts to Julia, all Julia, and because in the first one, um, well, actually, if we look at the book, if we go back to the original kind Mm -hmm. of novella that this is based on, Julia's the villain. I mean, Pinhead kind of rolls in and out. He's not even Pinhead at the time. I'm actually reading it right now. I just read Um, the first uh, 40 pages yesterday because I realized I'm not sure if I ever read this one. And it's such a it's like 150 page, easy, easy read. I'm enjoying it a lot. 
My favorite thing about the novella is that it actually starts with a, is it's more like a music mm-hmm. box. It yeah. plays music. Yeah. Um, and that gets completely lost in the movies. Yeah. No, I'm enjoying the read. Like, it's, I, I recommend like, it imagining what would what music would the box play while it's opening because usually like we have musical motifs but that's part yeah, of the soundtrack yeah, yeah. like so i i always find that fascinating um and it's not been included in any of them since then but that said with part two part two was well aware that kind of the biggest villain of the first one was not necessarily the cenobites it was julia and what do we need to get her back? And that mattress is such just so fucking sleazy yeah. and gross and wild and just such a brilliant opening for the movie. And then letting it be Julia, who is kind of the the big villain and, you know, the sinhead, the the pinhead, the Cenobites kind of. And she's been and betrayed, out. which is yeah. good. It's a good thing to kind of get. And then Dr. Yep. Gennard comes in and becomes this bigger character and you get bigger Cenobites and bigger things. Yep. Tony Randall. Well, I love Tony Randall. Um, one day yeah, we've we talked about it for Randall years and it's never, show. we have to get him because yeah. he ended up being more of an editor for like, um, uh, Jim Wernowski and stuff in later years. He's still doing, um, he still directs okay. occasionally. I think, I think it's more like made for TV stuff now. Um, but yeah, he, I still see him pop up on my Facebook occasionally, but yeah, I just, uh, ticks. I mean, like there's a bunch, um, Amityville, yeah, his Amityvilles, yeah. I think are yeah. just dynamite. But yeah, I love what he did with you know this, and it feels original. Like it's not what Clive's doing. Like if Clive had made a sequel, of course it would have been a different thing. But it, but he complimented Mm -hmm. it. He grew the world. He showed us something different. And I think the spirit was still there. And that's I I appreciate it. I think it's a great film. And I loved this one. I probably liked this one more than Hellraiser one when I was younger. Um, But now. I've grown to just think Hellraiser is like as good as movies can get. So, cause it's just kink. I still, yeah, I still, I mean, and yeah, the first one is kink, but I definitely agree that when I was a kid, I probably watched part two and three more. Yeah. It was, they're more fun and they're better probably for rewatches anyway. Um, this, and the reason why it's important that we talk about movies, cause this movie is on Roger Ebert's most hated film list of all time. So, Oh. And I, people never like you might hear us talk about these too much, but I'm just telling you, we have to keep these movies going because somebody else is putting them on some bullshit list saying they didn't like it. So um, that I is know. terrible. A lot of horror oh films, probably gosh. Blue Velvet, I'm sure, is on that too. So we can't really take that seriously. Um, everyone fuck. gets it wrong someday. Okay, so that was your number five and my number five. I actually yes, found it again. I realized I just squeezed it up against the notes above it. So, so it is actually my number five. It's perfectly here. I see my note. So I, I skipped my number six because it's higher on your list. So we'll come back to that one. We did. Well, guess what? We're to it. Oh, we're in, oh cool. Okay, perfect. So, so. My number four is Halloween 3 Season of the Witch from 1982, directed by Tommy There's Lee something Wolf. about this that uh, I, I didn't know uh, that I will bring up here that might make you like it even more, which I'm excited about just given something you've been watching recently. So uh, Halloween 3, a movie I didn't care for when I was a kid, watched the first time, was like, what? Where's Mike Myers? So obviously I'm the problem. Oh. Like my like 12-year-old Elric is the reason why this didn't do well and why why John Carpenter never got to do what would have been the greatest thing ever is make one of these every year a Halloween that's a different movie. What a cool concept concept i wish it had happened uh this is where my love for tommy lee wallace uh is forged uh you know who was did a lot of uh, different jobs for uh carpenter over the years uh, leading up to him making this uh tom atkinson like the best role ever one of the best visual gags we'll ever see with those masks killing children it's oh, just yeah. such a crazy movie but um so here's the fun part uh well also this is cool it's santa maria santa mira the little town it is is also the setting mm-hmm. of invasion of the body snatchers the 50s one which i didn't know it's been in a yeah, bunch of cool. stuff. I, I see Santa Mira pop up pretty regularly. It's 
I don't think it's a real oh, okay. town. I think it's, maybe, um, it's yeah, I definitely don't think it's a real oh, town. Now I'm sad. I think it's definitely like a made up town that's like two hours yeah, north of I'll LA. I'll be Googling that, this. You know, or people are going to be tweeting places. at us right now going, Becca, it's a real town and I live there and I'm I'm Fuck you, I'm I live in Santa, Santa Mira. Mira. Uh, anyway, this is the part that will be exciting to you right now, um, which makes sense why it's so cool and why it gets so weird with like the, um, you know, what's the Scotland thing um, or in, in England? Um, with the rocks and the oh that would be you know whatever man i'm just like (laughs) um you you call it stonehenge i'm like whatever it's the stone place with the rocks it's like the rocks man man. uh says you uh anyway yes stonehenge (laughs) uh all that weird stuff uh so even though in if you look at who gets the script credit it says tommy lee wells john carpenter and one other person got like a un credited writer but he actually tommy lee wallace says in the documentary on this that 60 percent of the screenplay was actually the work of a guy called nigel neal who is the genius behind all of the quatermass and the pit films oh yes. so he's the guy he's a huge deal in british sci-fi okay. and horror and that made it like oh that must be the connection so i know you haven't no, seen I'm the quatermass films yet this feels so Quatermass. This so that makes so much more sense so as soon much. as I read it. I'd seen a couple mm-hmm. of weird TV horror things he did recently that I thought were really interesting. Um, so, so I, you know, reading this, so I don't know why he's uncredited on script, but Tommy Lee said he wrote 60% of the whole thing. And that- So the whole kind of blending of old school Satan with science fiction and aliens and like weirdness, that is so yeah. Quatermass. Um, so yeah, that so knowing that, that they're connected so made me uh, even more excited to go check that. Yeah, I've been wanting ever since you got into them, and I've heard Joe Dante talk about them for years. So I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta watch. They're it, a yeah. blast. So anyway, yeah, total but, blast. Um, I, but I did just look it up. Santa Mir is not a real town, but it has been the setting for like a dozen films, including the latter Sharknado mm-hmm. movies, um, Invisible Man Returns. There's I think they're hiding it from us. There is a real Santa Mira, and I'm coming to find you. It's like yes, Hobbs End. Find Santamira on the map, but uh, but yeah, this yeah. is this is one of those films that I feel like everyone just loves now, and I, I love that about movies. It just proves that this is you cannot judge a movie until years and years later because it's really probably one of the most beloved horror movies. So this one um, is one that I always say, like the video store tricked yeah. me, where I would re-rent it every couple of years and then get pissed yeah. off there was no yeah. Mike Myers. Every couple of years, I'd be like, oh, fuck, I rented the one that he's not in again um, and get so angry. And it wasn't until decades later, like I was out of college where I was suddenly like, what's that weird Stonehenge movie with the Halloween masks I remember watching and then suddenly developed this new affection for it after decades of being so pissed off anytime that one came in to yeah. like play. Um, so yeah, like it was always like, if you're doing a Michael Myers marathon, Oh, skip three or you're going to have to sit through three yeah. and then suddenly finding this affection for how creative and fun. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so well-made and so fun. And, and it really is like dark too, because of the kids dying. Uh, but also it has that theme that you'll never shake. And the, of all the movies, like every Halloween, if, if I could only watch one movie and I watch this, I'd have the Halloween spirit straight away. I don't need to watch almost anything else. It's perfect. Um, those three masks every so time. that was your number four okay. by the way yes it was six. so now yes. I do my number four so, okay yes. we're catching up though now so that's good so that we've now had yeah. two we've had Hellraiser 2 and Halloween 3 they're our first and Poltergeist 3 no we've had so and Poltergeist 3 so we've very had good, three very good. Um, okay so my number four is again I'm a, I'm a little surprised I ended up playing this uh, but of the of the Friday 13th this is the one that 
I am most enjoy watching now. Um, I, as I kind of stated in the draft that we did, if you haven't seen it, it's that's an episode uh, of screen drafts that you'll never forget or live down. Um, I still believe that Friday 13th part four is the, you know, it's the, if you had to watch one to understand what the world is in Jason, it's the best one to watch. It has everything that said, if I got to watch three in 3d, that's the most entertaining because it's in 3d, right? But the one that is growing and the one that when we did it for screen drafts, I was like, you know what? This is just such a good movie is Friday 13th part six, Jason lives. It won. I right? think it did in the end. I can't remember what ended up happening in the last couple of beats, but Tom McLaughlin, you know, just knocks it out of the park. This movie's the the other thing is so this movie is like feels like the end of something, right? The end of a series. Like you're at part six. It feels- it's nineteen eighty six and you're at part six. Know, and nineteen eighty six, only eighty six, and you're at part six. That's insane. And it feels I always look at this one as scream yeah. before scream because it is the first one where it's like incredibly self-aware of the slasher and the franchise and what it has. But what I don't like, and and I don't know about say unhappy campers that you're talking about often, I don't like it when they're all just, you know, gags or, or it's a comedy that still has the hard trip. This one is still just moves like a horror film scares like a horror film. It just happens to also be referential. It's not going for cheap, jokes really there's a couple good ones but it that's what's so cool about it i really like the guy who takes over as tommy i think he's really a fun teenager to watch you know he's really good mm-hmm. and you know tommy jarvis is, goes to a graveyard goes i gotta finish jason off to make sure this is over unfortunately yeah lightning, <laughs> lightning reanimates him so now we're in pure zombie jason right from here on in the franchise um i think it is just so funny and 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 some of the gags like watching it this time like the part where you know the the truck or whatever it is it's like a camper or whatever turns up and jason's on i'm like this is like just so iconic the opening is a james bond thing so it's it's like one of those movies that i think of all of them uh, as far as sequels it's kind of becoming like a friday through a nightmare three to me where it's becoming kind of the high standard of what a sequel can be with the right imagination you know um so so you know i gotta say this is the one that's kind of uh, growing on me a lot also i did read that kevin williamson literally told mclaughlin like this was the biggest influence on screen so that that does totally make sense that yeah. makes so much sense. Um, and also the weird thing about it okay. is, and this is what I wasn't really thinking as I watched it, it actually almost has no sex or nudity in it. And, and that's very interesting for a series built on that. Like, uh, I guess Tom McLaughlin had to do one scene, but there really isn't much compared to the others, especially five, coming off five, which is the sleaziest of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Zito did four. Uh, the one you're talking about is Savage Streets. the one with... That's the candy bar. Oh, yes, bar the candy one. bar. But it's the guy director who did Savage Streets and stuff that is pretty, you know, all his films are pretty like like that. Yeah. It's yeah, brutal. Yeah. Um, so that was my number four is Friday 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. So that was on my runner-up yeah. list. But, yeah, it did not make my final. So, um, But my number three, I don't think it's going to mm. make your list, but it is a definite soft spot in my heart. For Slumber Party Massacre that 2, 1980. My first runner-up, because I actually got to know, you know, I've told you a few times, like when I first got here, got to know Deb, the director, pretty well, uh, just through Stacey Lane, and we just all kind of became friendly. And I think this film's so fun and visually, visually just kind of wild. I love this because it was, it, it's exactly what you said. It was wild. And seeing this as a kid, after you've seen things like, all of the Halloweens and all of the Friday the 13th. And then suddenly going to this where the hill, the killer is just this caricature and so off the hook. And it's got this nightmare logic that feels almost kind of Italian in nature with how it's functioning. Um, but at the same time, it's this like sexy girl slumber party. There was just so much going on in this. This is Deborah Bach from 1987. 
And it is somewhat related to the original in that the killer is kind of doing a copy. And I think one of the girls is in there, like the sister of one of them, isn't it? Or something. It's like she, cause she keeps having flashbacks yeah, to the original yeah. deaths. So yeah, some, one of the girls is, is affiliated with the original killing. I, it's not a very like clear delineation, yeah. um, but she's affiliated with it. And then the killer shows up and she's like, obviously she's recovering from trauma. I remember that being a big plot point is like, oh, well, I don't really have any friends right now, but she's invited to the slumber party and, you know, trying to recover from the trauma. But oh my God, a copycat killer shows up, but it's not just a copycat killer with a drill. Um, like we see in the original. I mean, the original is just crazed looking dude with a jean jacket, a red t-shirt and a drill. And um, this is wild. He is this rockabilly cross punk rock cross heavy metal killer with this amazing guitar that he's attached a drill to on the end. And he howls and he sings and he's got these Elvis like qualities to him. And he's really like sexy in a way, but really psychotic. And she's having flashes of him. Like he does not even show up on the scene till probably the last 20 minutes of the movie but she's having these premonitions of him. And so we're getting to like see this kind of unhinged killer throughout the entire movie that isn't even in most of the movie. And it's just the zip gag. Um, there is, yeah, the zip gag, no doubt. There is so much style to this movie that you were just not seeing in a lot of the other kind of generic slasher sequels from this time period. And it's a cheap film. I mean, it's basically like four girls in one house and then the boys show up to scare them for a little bit. But it's a really contained film with one cast. But then this outlandish crazed killer and a really drill good soundtrack on the guitar, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. I, I always wanted to see that thing. I think a collector did buy it though. But uh, yeah, that's I'm glad that one made your list so high too because it's so wild and gaggy. And it kind of pairs pretty well with my number three, which is uh, if, if I champion one film to my final days, I will be championing what I believe is one of the greatest sequels, and that is Fright Night Part 2, baby. Uh, <laughs> hey, let's just take a moment right now to say only one director has made two films on any of these lists, and that is Tommy Lee Wallace, not somebody you would expect yes. to make two films on a list of any kind. Anyway, I anyone who knows me knows I find this to be one of the most entertaining movies ever made. I, I borderline like it more than the original, but I would never say it's a better movie. The original is a perfect horror movie. I just think this one, gag after gag, and it, and it keeps one-upping things from the first, which I think... It's so fun. I think Julie Carmen, it's a really fun to have the sister of the of the, you know, vanquished vampire coming to town. And not only is she coming for revenge, she takes Roddy's McDowell's job on Fright Night. She becomes the Elvira host. Uh, you get John Grease, who's a great com- comedy actor playing one of the vampires. You get Brian Thompson from who's in every 80s action movie as one of them. Um, yes. William Ragsdale, it opens with him just being like, oh, I guess I have no memory. I've just forgotten. He's forgotten all of the first movie. I'm like, it's such a dumb, that's probably the dumbest thing in the movie. Um, Tracy Lind is like the best you know girlfriend i had the biggest crush on her when i first saw this one i might have seen this one before the first one um but this is just it, it really is hard to explain it's obviously not been the easiest to see it still hasn't got a blu-ray um there's like a nope. maybe a foreign region um but it is the two of them getting back together uh because you know obviously the sister has returned uh for revenge so she's actually targeting them so just when you thought you're out you're pulled back in kind of storyline but it's the gags in this one i tommy lee wallace you know, I think this one's even better directed than uh, Halloween 3. Like, the actual direction of every single joke setup gag with the monsters is A, funny. Like, there's some really 
hilarious ones, um, but also just mm-hmm. wild and the practical effects is actually an expensive sequel that um, there's a, actually, I didn't know till today that there's very good reasons why it didn't get seen and why it isn't a bigger movie. And this will kind of blow your mind. Um, so Roddy McDowell and Tommy Lee Wallace uh, were wondering, you know, wanting to push for it to have a bigger release uh, that before it was right before it came out, they're kind of talking about a small marketing campaign. They go to see the head of the company who's putting it out, which was called live entertainment. The chairman is this guy mm-hmm. called Jose Menendez. Um, they have this kind of heated conversation with him that night, like where they're trying to convince him to put it out bigger uh, later that night. He's killed by his sons, the Menendez brothers. Oh my God. This is, the, this is why Roddy McDowell, you know, if Roddy McDowell was on Twitter, People would call him the queen of Twitter because he has the sharpest, worst humor of anyone to ever like. Anytime you hear about Roddy McDowell's like one liners and apparently they get on. He watches the news, finds out this guy they just had dinner, you know, had lunch with has just been murdered. And he calls Tommy Lee Wallace and he just goes, well, I didn't do it. Did you? <laughs> and I thought that's so great. Like it makes me <laughs> makes oh me love Tommy God. Lee. So anyway, so actually the death of the chairman of that company that we now know as the Menendez brother, Menendez killing uh, is largely why the film didn't get a theatrical ended up being basically shelved. And most people never saw it till years later when it started popping up in video stores. And that's where it starts to become. Mm-hmm, yeah. Be, but really it was meant to be actually quite a big release and had a big budget. So reading that today, I was like, Oh, I had no clue any of that till today. Uh, that, that element wow. of it, but um, you know, it's just, it brings the goods and it's fun. I, and I, and I felt vindicated because I'd been saying this for years and most people kind of laughed about it. I didn't really understand that kind of like Poltergeist 3. And then I went to one of the all-nighters at the Nubev, and they play a couple trailers to hint at what's about to play in the all-nighter. And then a trailer came up, and I was sitting next to a friend of the show and a trivia ho- co-host with you, Jared Rivett. And I w- turned to him, I said, it can't be Friday Night 2, could it? And then Friday Night 2 came up. So I, of course, was losing my shit because here's Friday Night. But that might be the best I've seen a movie play to an audience. Like, it brought the house down. Like, gag after gag, people were, like, riotous. Like, and it made me realize, yeah, no, I'm right. Like, this movie never got its due because it didn't get the proper, uh, you know, theatrical time, I guess. So if if ever I could, mm-hmm. you know, play this one, you know, in a theater for people, I would. So Friday Night 2, definitely one of my, it, it probably been my personal favorite sequel on this list, but there's a couple that have to go above it um, for quality reasons. Um, so that's my number yeah. three, Friday Night 2. Okay, so that takes us to our number twos. My number two from 1987 is Hello, Mary oh, Lou, Prom That was Night my other two. second runner-up. Love that movie so much, uh, and I'm so glad it made your list because I was like, come on, that has to be on the list. It's still one of the best fun sequels. Come on. This is yeah. super high on my list at my number two spot. I loved this movie when I first saw it. This was probably one of my most repeated rentals to the point where I actually ended up buying the rental copy um, before I left for college. They, I actually purchased it from um, on track video in, in my hometown. And I remember taking it to college with me and then like, you know, making people in the dorm watch it with me. This is one where I've always considered it as this beautiful mix between it's got these Freddy Krueger oh, yeah. vibes to it. And a lot of the, set pieces are downright freddy because it wasn't it wasn't but planned as a prom night movie right it was a script that just no. was turned into a sequel yeah, yeah. kind of just tacked there because no. it's nothing yeah. like the Except original there's a prom, prom it's more like a carry supernatural oh. carry sequel than it is a prom sequel it's yeah. very much like a carry mixed yeah. with a freddy 
and and it happens to be leading up to yeah. a prom and it's it's kind of a revenge tale but in that it's very kind of freddy in the fact that it's a revenge tale and how that you know they kind of pick off the victims um directed by bruce pittman who had mostly done mm. tv movies at that point but it, it just the set pieces in this they nail so well the characters how everything's structured i honestly find the original prom night to be rather boring it's kind of yeah a everyone is, and i think you're right but i did watch it again last year and i hadn't seen it in a long time i always was probably my least favorite of all these kind of franchises and i, I gotta say i had some pretty cool stuff in it like there's a beheading on stage that i was like oh that's pretty cool but yeah it's definitely the least flashy probably of most of those so this one the chalkboard oh, yeah, where she scene disappears into the water Mary yeah it's amazing Lou. It's just so, and the letters yeah. swirling around. There's just so many really good practical effects in this, and nightmare set pieces. And Michael Ironside, this one so as, a, as a baddie, yeah. and Michael Ironside. It's just a very watchable film and rewatchable. I will say, I don't hate Prom Night Three. There's a self-awareness to it that I kind of found funny. Most yeah. people haven't, and it got a lot of hate when it first came out because it was very much kind of very post all of this, like decade later. Um, the, the Last Kiss. There's there's something about it that I don't. Mm. Hate I like I appreciate what they were trying to do. It's not one hundred percent well executed, but nothing will compete with Prom Night Two, which made the recent cover of Fangor. Yeah, no, I thought that was really that that was cool because I do feel like back in the Killer POV days, I feel like we were the only people like talking about that movie. Almost like you feel like alone an island, but you realize no, there was a lot of people who had discovered that over the years, and just you know, it's one of those movies. It's definitely a grower, and I think in the long run, that will probably be a bit of a classic. So, um, my number two. Uh, this is lesser known one. It's called What About Bub? Um, it's just Bill Murray playing a zombie in night. Oh no, sorry. Day of the Dead by George Romero. <laughs> Bub's in it. It's not What About Bub, but it should be called What About Bub. Um, Does he carry around like baby a gold steps, fish baby steps, the whole time? Baby steps. Uh, yeah, number two. I, I, I think Day of the Dead. Oh, well, I think, look, I think that, that as a trilogy, I think part four is actually really cool too. But as a trilogy, I think it's the best trilogy in, in horror. I just think it's, because of the way each, each one reflects onto the next and the world keeps building. Day of the Dead's the one that has grown on me the most. When I was younger, I found it was too grim for me when I first saw it. It was almost too dark, too adult. Obviously, when you watch Walking Dead, you realize it all comes from this movie. It doesn't come from the second or the first. It's Day of the Dead is the aesthetic and the feeling and the grimness of the world, um, which is not surprising because Greg Nicotero is in this film, a very young Nicotero, and he's helping on the effects. Um, but I, I, I really like the lead, Laurie Cardiel or Cardily. Um, I think she's a really good heroine in this film. Um, and it's, you know, people trapped in an underground bunker in Florida mixed with scientists and military people and the disagreements. Very, I mean, talk about very America in 2020, right? Like the, the disagreements oh gosh, between yeah. different types of people and it's set in Florida. Um, and there's a, you know, a massive viral outbreak. It's, it's very intense, very sad and very grim, but it's such a well-made movie. And, and I, and, and the score is great. And I just think, you know, I still, George Romero is just one of those people. I just love him. I love his work when, when he was working with resources. Like I think as his resources dwindle, I'm a little like, and he's getting older. That's tough because it's tough to stay cutting edge with less resources, you know, but when he had uh, the tools to play with, I really love what he did. And this one, um, I just think it's one of the best uh, sequels, you know, I mean, I still probably prefer number two just a little bit, but that's a different decade. So this is 1985, right in the middle. Um, and I did find out one thing I found out that I didn't know it's, it was shot. It wasn't on a soundstage. It was a, uh, it was a the Wampum Mine. Uh, mine. It's in a mine in Pittsburgh. Yeah, really? and it's like a two you know two hundred uh, two million square foot mine or something like some huge wow. storage facility in a mine. I thought that was interesting. It really that's a big part of the movie. Like the way it looks, you it really you know you're somewhere real. 
I never watched this one this mu- that much because it wasn't as fun as say. No, it's mom. not as fun. It's and not even so, fun at all, um, really. But it's so well made. Like yeah. I think as an ad, I think you'd find, especially with with what we just said about the year we've just had, this one might be an interesting one to rewatch for people and go, oh yeah, these kind of ideas of these factions of science versus fact or mil- military white might and things like that has always been around in the American consciousness, you know. So, um, so I, yeah, I think this one for people might be a surprise if they haven't seen it again. Okay, I'll give it another shot. That leads us to our one. Very curious. We've only had three shows. Yeah, that's pretty. So but that's far. good. I, and a couple of the, because a couple were on my backup. I, I I will say, especially Mary Lou, it crossed my mind like maybe that would be on yours. So I was like, I'm just gonna take the risk. Uh-huh. So, but do you think we're gonna have the same number one? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't okay. actually. Okay, so my number one from 1986, mm. Aliens. Oh, okay. All right. All right, you're gonna okay. That was that was a weird response uh, from you, well, Kane. Just this no, it's not. It's not based on quality. Okay, uh, this is only, and I will definitely, I would never flag it. It is one of the best, definitely one of the best sequels ever made. But in my brain, it operates more like an action movie because the first one's more like. a But that doesn't mean it's an action movie. Oh, just it's, it's action horror uh, compared to the first one being like haunted house kind of slasher or whatever. Yeah, but that's fine. Disagree. Well, you know, no, you wouldn't disagree that it's actiony. It's a, it's a big action film, but it's it's actiony film, but it's actiony in the same way that, like, I just watched. You yeah, know, yeah, no, you're no. I you would know. never. Get, this is one of the best sequels anyone could ever make to a first film. Yeah. So it's, I love it. Very kind of. I just forgot about it in the sense, or yeah. deep yeah. rising, or yeah. Um, so Aliens was definitely one of my most rewatched mm-hmm. films when I was a kid. I just loved it. The world, the how everything moved. I don't think I even saw Alien, the original. I, I, I'm kind of ashamed to admit this. We were probably doing Killer POV oh, well. when I finally sat down and watched yeah. Alien. But my parents had the laser disc of Aliens. And because it was there, I watched it over and over. And by the time I did watch Alien, I was like, this moves so much slower. Where are the big guns? Where is, you know, the, the crazy person with like the bandana on their head? Like, you know, shit talking everybody. Yeah, um, I, for me, when I was like, about 13, 14, I probably quoted uh, Bill Paxton that more than any person in any movie where I'd go, I don't know if you're keeping score, man, but we just got our asses kicked. Like, that's what I'd say about every situation. So that was my Bible. Uh, get away from her, yeah, you bitch. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. it was so... So they mostly come out at night, yeah. mostly. I mean, there was just so much. And Paul Reiser, like we had just watched him on, uh, I've been Reiser. like mad about you was about to come, right? Like a few years later. and Lance yeah. Henriksen. I mean, there was just so much about that. The, oh my God. So this is, this is what horror kids growing up in the 80s and 90s. I would sit in class for hours and try to oh, do the so. knife trick with a pencil to the point where I probably stabbed myself in the hand repeatedly. My teachers must have thought I was so nuts, but I would just sit there repeatedly yeah. doing it over and over to the point where by high school, I'd actually gotten pretty good at it and would be at like cheerleader camp being like, hold on guys, let me show you all this thing I can do here with the pencil. They had all um, seen aliens. I'm sure. Just like my, 
But, yeah, you know, it's it's big with cheerleaders. Um, but yeah, it became like my party trick that I would do because I had practiced it so mm. much. Um, that and the ball thing from Labyrinth that, you know, it's not David Bowie, it's a magician, but like the balancing of the ball thing. I would spend hours standing in my room doing that with like a high bounce ball to the point where I could actually do I was it. more of a bog of um, eternal stench kind of guy, just practicing it. Oh, it makes <laughs> in sense. In my dorm yeah, room yeah. with my dorm buddies. <laughs> And there are rocks and I have to jump across them. Um, but no, Aliens, I just rewatched this so much. And so to this day, when somebody's like, what final girl do you consider? You know, I get asked that as a woman in yeah. horror, you know, you get asked that a lot. Like what female in horror do you relate to? And it's always yeah, she's the first to really um Because she, she was a badass from the beginning. Like she wasn't she, taking any shit. It's very interesting. You know, when you rewatch Alien, you realize how much of the, if you watch it again, the one thing I didn't notice till like really recently is everything that happens is because people didn't listen to her. She, she there's a part where they, she's the science officer and they want to come back on the ship and she's like no they can't come back on. And then people are like no they have to come on. And if they had listened to her, that's cuz she knew how to do her job. Like she was already a, a badass yeah. before the alien got and I was like oh that was really interesting. I I kind of had never noticed that. But yeah, no she she rules. Uh and I love that film so I'm happy. Uh, I'm going to be curious. Can you do you want to say what my number one is? I'm going to guess that your number one is Evil is Dead 2. <laughs> uh, you did it. Because it's the one, when I was staring yeah. at my list, it's the one where I was like, I'm an army of darkness I am girl, too. I love army but, of darkness. But Evil Dead 2. But it's the one where I was like, I feel like this is a glaring oversight. Like when we were doing our general 80s list, I kept looking at it going, I don't have Monster Spot on here. I felt like it was a glaring yeah. oversight, but it just did not. For me, that was neither creeps on that so, one. Like I wanted to put it on and I just, yeah, it missed, something always misses out. Uh, you know, this one was a big gateway for me. Like I had watched Evil Dead, but when I saw, I think it was Stephen King's World of Horror, there was a documentary that was on TV one night and I saw a clip of the thing with the hand and Ash beating himself. And I, I didn't know what the movie was at that point and I had to see it. And I just think, I think in terms of kind of like also what Aliens is doing, but this is like one of the greatest sequels because it's a reinvention. It's a sequel. It's a, it's, it's the original redone with a whole, you know, it gives in 10 minutes, they kind of redo the first one, but reinvent what it was and they reinvent the lead. And, and Bruce, you know, people who love Bruce, Sometimes we'll go back and go, yeah, Bruce is so great and funny. You go back to the first film and you realize actually he's none of those things in the first film. Like he's basically he's the screaming, you know, he's like the screaming co-ed girl going, ah, you know, all the way through that movie until the very end. And this is the movie where he becomes this guy that uh, we've all kind of uh, started to, to uh, idolize. And he's so good and he's so funny. The gags are incredible. He's all three. He's all the stooges. stooges. He's the good guy. He's the bad guy. I mean, really, he's, I mean, it's also incredible because if you watch it, like there's a good portion of the film where it's just him doing stuff, going crazy, becoming the creature, becoming not like looking at a deer, a deer's head. You know, it's, it's really a wild movie. Um, And there's a couple of cool things about it that I I was uncovering. Like, so I knew Dino De Laurentiis made this and uh, produced and I always thought that was a little weird because it doesn't really fit with what he was doing at the time. It doesn't feel like no, it's just odd. And so I, here's the fun part. Guess who we have? To th- this is kind of a perfect ending for our uh, what we've been talking about. The person responsible for this movie getting made is because Stephen King, who had just done Maximum Overdrive, I guess, with Dino De Laurentiis, was at a dinner and com- and loved Evil Dead so much that he convinced them you should do a sequel to that. And then. If you remember, like growing up, I'd always see the opening credits of it and it was called Rosebud and it had this like flower opening almost as stop motion. Always remember that. I assumed that was um, Sam Raimi's company all these years when I was young. Turns out that Dino De Laurentiis wasn't allowed to do an unrated movie through his company. 
So Rosebud was cr- a company created just to make one movie, and that's Evil Dead 2. So it's actually Dino De Laurentiis' Rosebud. And I was like, oh, so these are just weird little things that when I was a kid, I always looked at that logo. Um, anyway, so this is Dino De Laurentiis yeah, helping make this amazing film because Stephen King put in the good word for Sam Raimi. And I love that. I love that he would come through and make, you know, one of the most classic uh, movies. And one other little thing, the girl, sexy uh, Bobby Joe, you know, the like, tough talking and she's just like uh-huh. now she looks kind of her style looks kind of funny but at the time she was quite different than other you know uh, the kind of uh, love interest type cat she's much more you know her own lady and very tough uh, yeah. i found out she was inspired by holly hunter who was a roommate of the Coens and Francis McDormand back then when Sam Raimi also lived with them. And so he met Holly and he wanted to cast her, but they wouldn't because uh, he had seen her play a hooker or something and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't let her get cast. And I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. Cause when I watched that, I kind of go, she has a Holly Hunter vibe, you know, she's yeah. kind of strong and Southern and smart. And it's like, just kind of interesting. So, um, yeah, weird little, oh. weird, weird little tidbits I just learned. But, um, also the farewell to arms gag is probably my favorite in any movie where he cuts off the arm and then he puts the book. <laughs> on it and i'm just like that's that's as good as the stuff gets so uh yeah evil dead 2 is hard for me to overlook just because as a kid i loved it so much and i I still love it i I don't watch it as much now but you know it's genius and i just heard today that they announced um the new evil dead is going to be made called evil dead high rise or something evil dead it's going to be produced by the same people by the guy who did the the irish director who did the hole the one or the hole in the head one that we liked uh, I think it's called Hollywood. Oh yeah, and Raimi's producing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be shot in New Zealand. It's it's basically taking all the Evil Dead world and putting it in a kind of like um kind of like Demons Two, I guess. It's going to be in a. High- I will take a poltergeist. Totally. Yeah, Demons Two, poltergeist. It's perfect dead. ending of our conversation. Is that there that these things are still yes. going? There's still going to be more sequels to come. Well, I think that that's like an important thing to acknowledge is the sequels because sequels will always be a part of the lexicon and we will run these kind of times where there are endless sequels. Like we had it in the early 2000s. It was very much like, oh, well, we can remake Mm -hmm. this and let's get, um, you know, Last House on the Left and let's do Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, you know, let's get all of these Black Christmas. I prefer, um, here's one thing that I I prefer sequels to constant rebooting. Because I would rather you just keep doing crazy things and see what happens. But every time they reboot, it's like you have to reset. And then maybe there'll be a couple sequels in that vein. But they they don't seem to work as well doing it that way. Whereas if you just kept making Jason movies, you could keep going forever. But as soon as you say, oh, we're rebooting it. It's like, I don't know if that works as well. It's, it's, and I mean, even hearing Ryan talk about it, or even some of our other friends who have been, you know, working where they are kind of looking at these, do we reboot or do we try to keep it going um, and establish everything that has come up to this point? And it also gets into like, if you wanted to re- do Hellraiser right now, which people are doing. Not just you people, know, friends of ours, it was announced two, two days ago. Friends of ours. Oh, no, okay. No, I was going to say, has no, it been no, announced yet? It's been yet? secret for a long time. <laughs> uh, Luke, Luke uh, Petrowski, Yay, uh, ben, Luke and ben. Ben, ben Collins, and uh, the, the director, David Bruckner, who all have a, have a film that, probably the film I'm most looking forward to this year called The Night House. Uh, which is a horror film that looks yes. really eerie and scary. And they made the rich uh, and mm-hmm. he Bruckner made the ritual prior to that. They didn't make it with him. So, so yes, I, you know, that's all we'll say about what they're doing, but the point is there's going to be a big budget Hellraiser sequel, you know, or reboot yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm glad that Luke and Ben finally got to announce that, but yeah, it's so like when, if you, you know, I, I would definitely be excited to talk to them once it gets a little bit closer to discuss, like, how do you pick what points of Canon to include? And why is it not just lucrative to do a sequel? From a studio standpoint, I get why it's always kind of, you know, more lucrative to do a reboot. Because if you're releasing, you know, Hellraiser 12, 
people are going to be inclined to say, well, I didn't see the and first And Hellraiser is a little different in the sense so, that talk about saying run into the ground. Yeah, I, like that's run into the ground. I will but, say Hellraiser is yeah. a little different. But if we look like, okay, let's say that right now, you know, we bring back critters and we say, okay, let's do, or Ghoulies. Ghoulies yeah. is a great one. Ghoulies, Ghoulies would need a reboot, reboot right or not, not a sequel. You're right. So if you were looking at Ghoulies, you know, do you say, let's make Ghoulies, what are they up to? Like four or five they went to now? Co- hold on. They went um, to college in three be. or four. And then there's another one after that. Yeah. They got kicked out. Co- no, I don't know. <laughs> After college, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I have no idea. I think I stopped at Ghoulies College. But yeah, so like, do you say, okay, well, now let's do a big budget studio reboot and call it Ghoulies 4? Or do we just start the whole thing over again so that the newer generations don't go, well, what the fuck's a Ghoulies? The one, the one I'd most want to so. see just a straight sequel and forget another reboot is Nightmare. I think if there's one more movie left in that tank where where Freddy was going to be Robert England, if you're going to do that, that's what I'd want to see. I wouldn't want to see another shot at reboot. If it was going to be a reboot, it has to be a really different because we've already shown doing it too close didn't work. And, and you know, uh, but I do think there is if if the right person had the right vision and he was willing to do one more, I would I would pay good money to see one more of that storyline uh, if if it was the right story, you know. Um, but yeah, no, there's so many you know people love these things. You know, there, there's a reason why they keep getting made. We're we're emotionally attached to these worlds and characters and you know and they keep coming so I, I miss this period the wild period of wild sequels the reboots I, I still like you know the occasional reboot but it tends to be um not quite the same i think the only real one franchise we have like this in our um you know more recent period in a lot of ways is like the scream franchise you know each scream movie was totally you know kind of different but built on the previous one and uh you know kept obviously all of them were directed by wes at that stage so we'll have our first one not directed by wes coming out this year by the ready or not directors, I believe. Um, so that'll be really interesting. So to see how that builds upon it, I don't know if it's a reboot or building. I don't know. I no, I think it's just a sequel because it's got returning cast. So um, anyway, yeah. very exciting stuff all around. Uh, that was a lot of fun to do uh, sequels. You know, we, I love that we have a couple sh- like we share the poltergeist three love. I think that's special. We'll always, always be bonded mm-hmm. over that. Always. Um, and so hopefully that'll always. push at least one person to finally watch that movie. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much. And I will see, um, we will be back uh, with our Patreon show next week. But yeah, in two weeks, we will be back. We have no idea what the topic is going to be. Hey, shoot us, shoot us ideas on Twitter. We'll see what we'll write to her. If not, we'll add it to our list. (laughs) We will add it to the growing list of stuff we want to cover because I threw cars in horror. I've never done cars in horror. Seems like a post summer thing. I I think it's a post summer. We could do horror summer camps. We haven't, you know, we could. I feel like we kind of, we did a lot of sequels. Yeah, Beaches are good. You know, we'll see. We'll see what will come. Like be in the moment. It shakes out here. Um, but yes, yeah, go check, could, go, do check out if you've never checked out the Patreon show. I know, I know there's probably a million Patreons in the world now, but we do feel like what we're putting in there is actually kind of unique because it is basically all the off cut, all the weirder films that we love to watch, but we don't bring them up to this one because we kind of have this has its format. And so we put them over there. And so if you're interested in growing your list of weird movies to watch, it is a good thing to follow. So that is over on our Patreon mm-hmm. and also cool lists of movies and stuff. Um, so thanks for that support. We appreciate it. We'll keep that going uh, even when we're off. So, yeah. uh, Big thanks to Ernie, yeah. our sound engineer. Big thanks to Fangoria for all their support. See you in a couple weeks. Thank you. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. 
Associate producer is Jessica Soff of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 